Coming Back is a 100% listener-supported podcast. To support the show and to get your hands on some really cool podcast swag, head on over to patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia. Support the show for as little as $1 per month and change or cancel your support at any time. Your support keeps coming back ad-free, which is really awesome. Thank you. Hi there, and welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after loss. On today's show, I'm talking to grief counselor and author Corin Holmes, who read Dr. Gladys Otto's book from episode 29 of Coming Back and requested to come on the show. She lost her baby after just six and a half weeks of pregnancy and was forced into grief in a way that she describes as, I had to open my eyes before I was ready. I cannot wait for you to hear this interview. Also on the show today, I'm addressing a listener comment from my private Facebook group, The Grief Growers Garden, about grief always being present and how we can keep our hearts open to grief. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide who speaks, writes, and teaches the transformational power of grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to equip others with the knowledge to heal and remind them that they are not alone. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Coming Back. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining me today. Before I dive into the top of the show, I want to let you know that this week I have been featured on another podcast that I highly, highly recommend. It's called Dealing With My Grief, and the host Darwin and I sat down for an hour-long interview about the loss of my mom, the process of losing my faith before my grief, and especially because of my grief, and my journey into how I got to be doing what I'm doing now, which is this, the Coming Back podcast and speaking to all of you. Darwin's podcast, Dealing With My Grief, is one of the first podcasts I ever listened to about grief and loss because it's one of the earliest ones that I could digest. Most of his episodes are less than 20 minutes long, and they're just these short, deep musings on how grief affects our lives and how grief has specifically affected his life since losing his father. Especially when I was first looking for resources after my loss, 20 minutes was about all I could emotionally and mentally handle. Uh, Of course, every so often you'll see Darwin throw in an interview episode or a longer episode as a treat, like the episode that I'm featured in. So I will definitely put a link to that episode that came out today in the show notes where you can check that out. If you're not already a member of the Grief Growers Garden as well, I encourage you to join, especially if you like what you hear on Dealing With My Grief, Darwin, the host of Dealing With My Grief, is a lovely, lovely active member of the Grief Growers Garden and is just really great at holding space and being curious about people's lives as they're going through hard times. Alrighty, so speaking of my private Facebook group, The Grief Growers Garden, I want to get into a comment that was made on a photo that I posted in the group last week. So last week I was prepping for the top of the show for last week's episode, which was all about pet loss. And in the grief grower's garden, I posted a photo of my cat. Now, my cat that I have right now, his name is Gigi. He is only five years old and he's in great health. He's very much alive. But in the caption of the photo where I was talking about pet loss, I noted how the losses of previous pets in my life have kind of groomed me, if you'll pardon the pet pun, for the death of Gigi, for Gigi's impending death. I know it's coming, and it's something that I actually think about on a pretty regular basis. And one of my grief growers commented something along the lines of like, like, wow, isn't it a shame that you can't fully 
enjoy this time with him anymore? Isn't it a shame that that grief is something that clouds our joy? Isn't it a shame that none of us in this group or none of us who are grieving, period, can ever experience life without also thinking about death? And I wanted to do a whole top of the show on this because it's really significant, so much so that it came up in the interview that you're going to hear today as well. Grief has this tendency where you experience it once, and once you wrestle with it and have your eyes open to it and deal with it in your life, you cannot get rid of it. Pastor Rob Bell, who also has a podcast I love, we're all about podcasts this morning. Pastor Rob Bell talks about awakening and revolution a lot on his podcast. And he's been using this line lately that I picked up on of, once you see, you can't unsee. Once you hear, you can't unhear. Once you taste, you cannot untaste. And as application for grief, you cannot undo the effects of grief. And as I note with our guest Corin later in the show today, there's always this portion of your mind that's permanently devoted to grief. Sometimes it's 10%, sometimes it's 5%, sometimes it's 1%. But from the moment your loss happens and for the rest of your life, thoughts of loss, death, dying, and needing to grieve are always going to be like this ever-present part of your life. You will never experience, from this moment on, you will never experience that totally uninhibited joy again. I think this is why so many people are nostalgic for childhood, because it's that time when you didn't know. Uh, you will never experience that innocent freedom of just being alive again. You will never experience this feeling of invincibility again. And throughout your life, like after grief, you might get like brief flashes of what that feels like, but that 1%, 5%, 10% of your brain that is permanently thinking of grief will always pull you back to the reality of grief. As in, oh wait, they're not here to see this anymore. Or, oh yeah, the last time I risked this in a relationship, I got left. Or, I love my cat so much, and one day I'm going to have to bury him. Or, holy shit, I'm not as excited as I was the first time we announced it. Why? Oh, because we lost our first baby. And grief growers, I'm not, I'm not meaning to come at you today being a downer. This is just a fact. This whole grief setting up shop in your heart for everything is just a fact. Grief has filed all of its change of address forms to a tiny little P.O. box in your heart. And sometimes grief consumes all of your heart and whirls in like a tornado or an anchor or a big back cloud. And that's what people normally associate with grief. But there's also this other part of grief that sticks with you forever, this piece of grief that just leaves little post-it notes tacked on the walls as this quiet reminder that it still exists. Once it comes in, it, it never truly leaves. And it is a shame. It's a shame that we can't undo what we felt and what we've been through and what we've seen. It's a shame that we can't look at our relatives and our pets and our jobs and our lives and see them as anything but temporary anymore. It's a shame. It totally like Fs up your worldview, for lack of a better phrasing. There's There's a lot of uncertainty and insecurity in that. And there's this deep sadness and anger and feeling like we don't have anything or anyone else to truly cling to anymore. But what is also there, and I'm getting chills right now, this is a really big cracking open today, grief growers. What is there amongst 
these tiny little post-it note reminders that grief is still around. Is this opportunity that we have to cherish. What this never-ending 1%, 5%, 10%, 100% grief presents us with is the opportunity in our lives to savor, cherish, and treasure every single little element of our lives. In recognizing how fleeting Every single thing is in the world, our bodies, our friends, our family, our pets, our homes, our jobs. Grief is this nagging, annoying little reminder that we could lose it all. So focus on it and treasure it now. Get consumed in it and absorbed by it and loved in it and comfortable with it now, 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 because you could literally lose it tomorrow. And do not get me wrong today, grief growers, I am not preaching being grateful out of fear. This is such a hard line to toe here. I'm not telling you to be grateful because you're afraid. That energy is clinging and desperate and heavy, and it's a hard energy to carry around, to to be afraid all the time, to be obsessed with things and to be in things and to be around things because you're afraid they're going to be gone. What I'm telling you today is that this 5%, 10%, 20% grief that exists in your brain, I'm telling you that it's possible to reframe that idea. When you get irritated or miffed by this idea of, oh, it's such a shame that we can't look at anything anymore and not think about how hard it's going to be one day, just pause, hit pause here and say, oh yeah, it is a shame. But it's also this opening, it's this cracking open, it's this opportunity to love it and love it hard, and not be distracted by stupid little things or petty details. This perpetual existence of grief in 1%, 5%, 10% of our headspace is this nudge, it's this calling, it's irritating, but, but it's this wake-up call and this reminder to be more present right now, so we're not afraid of the future. And so we're not stuck in the past of how all that used to feel so bad. But so we're right here with the things and the people that we love and that matter to us. This little tiny 1% of grief that we're always going to carry around, it says, hey, excuse me, you're going to lose this someday. And that will take away 1% of your joy. But what it presents you with is this opportunity to, re- to, to embrace the remaining 99% with your heart so, so, so open. I'm like on the, I'm on the verge of tears, grief course. I don't know why, but this is, this is such a huge message that I want to send through this podcast today. People call this concept grieving with your heart open saying, I've only got 99%, but I'm giving it all I've got left. This hurt once, but God damn it, I'm going to do it all the way again. I am trying again. Guys, this is so brave. It's the scariest fucking thing in the world. But I wrote this sentence in the about section on my website, and I'm calling to it now. It's calling to me now. And I told myself, I said, if this is going to be my life, 
if this is the hand I'm going to get dealt, if this is going to be my life, help me make the best of it. It is a shame that we cannot ungrieve. Let me say that loud and fucking clear today. It's a shame that we can't walk around all happy all the time without any knowledge or wisdom that things will take a big, fat fucking turn for the worse. Because if you're listening to this podcast, you've either lived it or you're living it now. And it's a shame that we can't forget that. It's a shame that we can't undo it. But the gift of not being able to forget how hard it's going to be someday is that we remember to enjoy how amazing it is right now. Grieving with your heart open. Oh, grief growers, I... (laughs) I've gotten chills so many times writing this piece for you and speaking this today. This is a real heart truth for me. If you want to continue this conversation, if you want to talk about reframing the permanent residence of grief as grieving with your heart open, please, I would so love it if you would join me on Facebook Live this Monday, February 12th at 1 o'clock Central Time. All you have to do is like my Facebook page, which is Shelby Forsythia Intuitive Grief Guide, to be notified when the broadcast begins. Next up, we'll talk to Corin Holmes about her miscarriage experience and how her journey through isolation, personal blame, and grief led her to become a grief counselor and now a published author. Corin Holmes is an author and grief counselor who is passionate about supporting bereaved families after the loss of their child or baby. Corin also provides mental health support for anyone going through a tough time, both in person and online. After her own loss, a miscarriage in 2011, Corin began writing to deal with her grief. A whole book came together called How to Survive a Miscarriage, a guide for women, their partners, friends, and families. Corin is married and has two living children aged five and three. She lives in Australia and tries hard to read a few books in her spare time when she's not wrangling her children or two naughty but lovable kittens. I'm so excited to have one of our international listeners and guests here on the show. And can you start us off by telling us your lost story? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on your podcast, Shelby. It's a really huge honor. Um, so my loss story starts in 2011. So that's uh, seven years now. My husband and I, I guess like most couples, they're talking about having children and how that will be. And I was a bit like, yeah, that's nice, but I'm still young and let's not, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, But as life always um, happens, I fell pregnant very unexpectedly in um, May 2011. Um, so that was definitely a huge surprise. I just didn't expect it, um, even though we were talking about it. But I guess in my mind, I was sort of um, just telling myself it's it's too early and all that. So my reactions to um, being pregnant were very mixed. Um, I was confused. I was scared. I was just not sure what to make of it. While my husband was very very excited. Um, and I was in a state of just shock, and I was unsure. I was in a really really 
stressful and awful job and I felt that I could actually not have a child. I could not look after it. I felt completely unprepared. And so that was went back and forth, back and forth for a few weeks. And um, I just could not make up my mind what I was um, what, what, I, what I was supposed to think about being pregnant. And as it happened, the sort of my mind was made up for me um, when I started bleeding and cramping at around six and a half weeks pregnant. So just when I was coming to terms that, yes, I am going to have this baby and, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be a mom, um, sort of these positive feelings kicking in, um, it all went wrong. And um, I ended up going to hospital um, where they were quite blase about it. It's like, oh, it's still early in a pregnancy. It's very common to lose a baby. And I was in, in disbelief because I was thinking – I just, just decided that I want this baby and now someone is telling me that I'm going to lose it. And because of the type of miscarriage that I had, there are a few different types and mine is called a missed miscarriage. So that means my body um, attempted to get rid of the pregnancy but wasn't successful. So um, some... Um, pregnancy tissue passed but most of it stayed in the womb so that then obviously creates um, potential health hazard for me because it can go toxic and get worse from there so I needed to have what they call a DNC so dilation and curentage where they basically scrape out your womb and uh, make sure that any tissue in the embryo will be removed and um to me, that was really a traumatic way of, of losing my baby because I went into the theatre pregnant and I came out not pregnant anymore and um, I didn't know, you know, sort of where my baby went or, or to me it was a baby, I guess, to a healthcare professional. It was maybe just a lump of cells. And that really put me into quite a deep um, depression and a lot of um, so my grief started off in a very very dark place for sure because I was grieving and I am grieving a child that I've always loved but I've never met my heart breaks for you in this and it's so hard especially in medical situations to go in and not know what's happening and then you almost don't realize it until after it's all over and yeah. there's not time for your brain to kind of catch up to that. And you're like, no, 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 I just signed this energetic contract that said this this little being is mine. And yeah. then all of this is over. And you're like, wait, I, I didn't really get a say in this either. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I remember because my, my bleeding started at work and I was driving home and I remember pleading with my babies to say, please, please, please stay with me. I'll, I'll, I'll be a good mummy. I'll try. I'll try. Please, please stay with me. And yeah, I kept, uh, kept on bleeding. So it was definitely, um, for naught. And, um, yeah. So to me, it was really a rude, rude shock because to me, my world had just ended in a way, but you enter a hospital where um, it doesn't really matter 
um, which is part of this, how I guess the system works. But that was just um, that I guess this interest or sort of the sort of gentle pressure I received of let's not make a big deal out of this, I found really hard to deal with and, and cope with. And obviously I complied because it, I was in such a shock. I just said, okay, I'm trying not to cry, I suppose. Um, so it was a really, yeah, a lot. I, I'm i still upset about the fact that I lost my child in a hospital. I don't mind hospitals <laughs> otherwise at the best of times, but such a clinic, sterile environment. It was just awful. It really was. And they tend to be places too that are devoid or like resistant to emotion because if you do take the walls down in a hospital, whether you're a care provider or you're a patient or you're a family member kind of just watching all of this happen, if you let the walls down, there is this, you have to create space for emotion and space equals time and grief, especially and even taking, you know, five minutes to cry about something and to just have a moment with it is time that I suppose in the medical system's mind could be used for quote unquote more constructive or life-saving activity. And so there's not a lot of space in our medical system to grieve. I'm wondering now if you have given yourself that space, if you ever gave yourself that opportunity to break down. Uh, Yes, I have. Um, Not willingly. because see how it happened with um, my loss. So I ended up being an emergency procedure. So they sort of rush you through the system, I suppose, um, which makes it even harder, or at least for me, made it even harder to try and catch up with what was going on because um, I started off the day sort of normally expecting I knew I was going to go for an ultrasound and see my doctor, but I never expected to then be wheeled into an operation theater um, the same day. So um, I needed to suddenly event really quickly. So sort of, it felt like time was dragging on for a really long time, waiting for that ultrasound to confirm that my baby has died. And all of a sudden it's like, thank you know, million things happens at once. Um, so I really actually... I call it a crashed um, the, the moment I got home because at home, so that was the following, I stayed the night and then the following morning my husband could come and pick me up. And that time there I was lying in my bed, it was quiet in our house, it was just me and my husband, that's where it really hit me um, that indeed I just um, lost um my baby and it all had sort of just fell apart then. Like this is like an instant plunge into darkness. And what did that, I mean, this seems like totally new territory for you. Have you had like a background in loss before? Had anything of this level of trauma ever happened to you before where you kind of have no reference to go on? No, that was um, definitely my first contact with loss. Or at least with a loss, a loss that meant so very much to me. Um, so, and I, <laughs> that sounds really, really stupid, but it is true. I did not really know that much about pregnancy loss either. 
So I didn't even know that this is common and that I'm not the only one because it certainly felt like I was all alone in the world. Oh, yeah. um, so that was a, a whole new level of, of, of learning or sort of coming to terms with. Um, so this was definitely a um, huge shock for me just in the grief in itself, the, uh, experiencing a loss in itself. I'm not used to that. And then um, having – yeah, I – Every loss is complex, um, in my opinion, but I feel mine was a bit more complex because I have lost someone I have never met but was part of me. Um, and that is definitely the, the part that I grappled with the most because I felt so empty afterwards, afterwards in these days and weeks after. And I was unsure if that's okay to feel that way or am I just supposed to get up out of bed and go back to work and pretend nothing happened. So it felt, I still remember this really just feeling unsure, like what am I supposed to feel? What am I supposed to do? Because if I had let, lost my, my mom my dad everyone would be like oh gosh that's terrible I'm so sorry but if you say I have lost my baby early in pregnancy everyone's like oh well oh yeah mm -hmm. get over get over it so I felt very isolated I felt very lonely and life didn't make much sense because to me it is and was a huge deal but no one cared so sort of finding my feet again in a world post-loss has been hard, definitely has been hard. What was the story that you were telling yourself? Oh, well, it was a bit dark to start with. <laughs> sure. Um, because like many other women who who lost or, or lose a baby in pregnancy or maybe even during birth or after birth, naturally we blame ourselves. So my story was all about I have failed. I have failed my baby. I had failed my family. I had failed myself. I can't even get the, the one thing we're technically supposed to do on this planet right. I can't carry a baby. So there was a lot of blame. There was a lot of shame, guilt, anger. So really dark, strong emotions that dominated that my story for a long time because that's the only thing that made sense to me. Um, I was that definitely part of that is definitely that I just didn't know how to grieve. I did not know anything about grief. I didn't know that it's okay and it's it's even normal to have such strong emotions. And um, but also on the other side that it's also okay to feel good again one day. So I was in, in I feel like an internal conflict of good and bad sort of battling it out because I had no guidance on how to progress on this journey and um, I felt for a long time I just sort of stumbled across and left and right and fell over again because or you know going in circles because I just did not know what I should be doing. And that's such a familiar story to me and I'm sure so many other grievers who are listening because the first time that we experience loss, not only are we experiencing all of these emotions for the first time, but we have to come into contact with all the stories about loss that we've ever told ourselves, or that anybody has ever told us through our entire lifetimes. So I, you know, things like, 
be strong, go back to work or be strong for your husband or your family members or things like that. Or if you're going to cry, go to your room and do it or don't cry at work. Or, you know, if you just get busy and stay distracted, time will heal all like things like this. And I'm curious to know for you, when was kind of the crack in this? When did you kind of reach a place or maybe what called to you to say, maybe there's more than what I should be doing. Maybe there's more than this dichotomous good, bad, should be doing, should not be doing in in your grief process. Because this this image of this really vivid image that you shared of stumbling and walking through and left and right and falling over yourself is so familiar because the, grief is very at first, especially, it's just very non-directional. It's like somebody conked you over the head and it's like, yeah. okay, now walk in a straight line. And you're like, I don't even know where yeah. my feet are. <laughs> yes, um, and I'm laughing, but right. it's horrible. It's a horrible experience because for the most part, we we schedule our lives and we kind of have our map planned out and everything. But I'm wondering when kind of the first glimpse of that was for you that's like, maybe this is not everything that grief is for me. Um, that was actually when I reached out to a support organization here that um, has a support, a free support line where you can call up and you can talk to someone. Um, it's called Saints, and um, they do a lot of work um, with with pregnancy loss, and obviously a lot of their members um, have had losses later on, late miscarriages, stillbirth. So I was a bit apprehensive calling and saying, oh, I'm actually struggling with a miscarriage because I still thought, okay, I'm supposed to not make a big deal out of this. I'm supposed to get over it. Um, I felt weird or or not yeah, abnormal for, for having all of this grief. And um, But I called anyway and um, I just spoke to the most lovely, understanding and kind lady who for the first time, other than myself and my husband, took my loss and my grief seriously and said to me, yes, you are entitled to this. And yes, it is a real loss. And I was just blown away that a total stranger would would, um, give me this kindness when others around me would not, who who knew me and, and were supposed to support me, were not doing that, but a, a complete stranger would. And that triggered, uh, I guess that triggered finally part of of my healing because I felt that, yeah, I'm not crazy actually. Um, This is real and my emotions are real and I need to listen to them. I need to work through them with them. And that felt, even though it was painful to talk about it, it felt oddly empowering um so and and it was very much a surprise because I expected to be brushed off and instead I was taken seriously so that was huge for me and and still is still is and 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 something that that I um, have taken away with me um, and want to incorporate into my work as a counsellor when someone comes to me with grief that we need and I need and want to take it seriously and 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 give that much needed validation because as a society it seems we sort of set up terms as to when a loss is acceptable mm-hmm. to be talked about 
and basically the longer and even it, it's sort of like we, we're most supposed to be most upset if someone dies young um, or has uh, maybe it's a family man or woman and has small children and then they die and then that's that's like the, totally acceptable to be upset but even when someone old dies then we're like oh well they had a good life um, so it, it just this approach of um, like there seems to be a very small window um, in life that we are supposed to be okay with grief. But if you fall out outside of that window where you lose someone who's either really, really, really young or hasn't even been born yet, like my loss, or is really, really old um, and has had a supposedly long and good life, then you fall out of that understanding category and you just have sort of be you're left on your own to deal with grief that because it's just it comes across to me as it's just not good enough to give attention to. Yeah, so it's not big enough or impactful enough or your relationship wasn't as deep or stronger. Yeah. Yeah. The stories. Yeah. That's yeah. very true. Yeah, and even um, you know, when it's someone like like your loss, Shelby, where you lose your mom, people might often say, Well, but you're you're grown up, so what, what do you need what do you need your mom for? Yeah. Um, Oh God, and that breaks my heart even hearing it because it doesn't. No, I'm sorry. Especially for a mother. No, no, no. It it it, it comes up for uh, mother loss, and it doesn't come up very often. But when it does, it's just like, wow, I can't believe you said that. And then yeah. to look at your loss, that's so almost. I don't want to say invisible, but it's not. It's it's not something you see. You don't write it up in the obituary. It doesn't go in the newspaper. You know, things like that. It's so yeah. like. And then to hear that you receive things like this like 20 times more than I ever would for my loss. It just breaks my heart because the feeling that I get in my heart hearing that is that, you know, that invalidation of like, oh, you're already raised. You're out of the house. What do you need a mom for? I'm like, oh my God, you you know, yeah. this lack of understanding for how important this relationship is and was to me yeah. um, is just wild. And to, I don't know if I've ever fully grasped miscarriage, child loss, pre-birth, uh, until you kind of phrased it in that window because yeah, because I've never, I, I'm not personally a woman who has ever wanted children. I told my mom when I was five, I said, this is not on my list of things to do. And she said, you know, <laughs> she was like, all right, but make sure if you ever do decide to have kids that you really, really want them. Cause you're stuck yep. with them. Once you have them, you're stuck with them forever, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and, I, and I mentioned it again at 14 and I mentioned it again at 21 and she was like, it's okay if you don't want to have kids. And so this, yep. this maternal attachment, I've always had and this is something I'm admitting for the very first time on this podcast is as a 25 year old female bodied cisgendered woman, I've always had a hard time connecting to this maternal feeling. Even before my mom died, a lot of people are like, Oh, you're just blocked because your mom died uh, and you don't have yeah. a maternal influence uh, anymore. I'm like, no, I've just never felt this desire to be a mom. And there's, yeah. there's some shame in that too, but, um, yeah. but I've never been able to, to fully, I feel like latch on to this story of, of losing something that's so intimately connected to you until you rephrased it that way. So thank you for that. That was, that was incredible. I wasn't expecting that today and I'm just like overwhelmed by it. And it's really cool. Um, yeah. And I, yeah. I kind of want to segue into how you got into your work as a counselor, if that's something mm -hmm. that you pursued after your loss, or if it's something that you were in and then really got deeper into after you went through this experience with your baby so personally. Um, it was the see. It's always good hindsight, eh? Um, no, it was it triggered um, or it started my journey to become a counselor because I felt 
so, so, so lonely after my loss. And um, loneliness... It's not necessarily bad, but it was it was awful. Like just like literally, I felt the world is just. I mean, in sort of a, a cage, and the world moves around me and treats me like it wants nothing to do with me. And to I felt like I did. I didn't. I didn't matter anymore. Certainly, my baby doesn't matter to anyone. And to, to it's hard. It's real. It's heartbreaking. It's soul destroying to realize that you're in the midst of grief and darkness and no one cares. So I decided that, no, I decided, I knew, I knew that I, I cannot put up with this because it's not fair, it's not, it's not right, it's simply highly inappropriate that we force women to just um, grieve in silence, if at all, um, to, to deny um, that this life existed um because i do honestly i would like to challenge anyone to actually think about how it how they could try and imagine how it feels when someone dies inside of you that's like a whole other level of of um messed up <laughs> yeah um, yeah and i've never heard it phrased that way either but that's that that's striking me again and true. just like to have another human die inside of you is pardon my french but holy shit like it's, yes. it's mind blowing. And, and you, we see things like miscarriage, things like late term abortions, things like stillbirths portrayed in movies and media and stuff. But that, that feeling is never completely relayed until you experience it yourself. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's really, I mean, it's hard to say, but that is what it is essentially. Um, because any other loss, I'm really not against, I'm really don't like sort of saying, oh, you know, my loss is so much worse than yours because they're all terrible. But it, I feel strongly that it adds that complex level of, of feelings of, um, especially in early pregnancy where you don't feel anything because babies really don't make themselves known until a bit later when they kick you and annoy you <laughs> and push on your bladder and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, but nonetheless, um, that baby was alive. Um, my baby was alive and then it was not. And um, I just, I would like to then just say, okay, th th this is why it's a real loss. And um, that, uh, I just want to, my original uh, motivation to become a counselor is to make sure that no one ever has to go through this alone like I did and being left alone with this complex feeling and this just the complexity of, all, of it all that you knew one day you were pregnant so someone, a baby was growing and the next it was not and technically from the outside you look the same, you know, nothing changed yet. And um, I just, yeah, I want to make sure that no one has to go through this alone ever again um, because it's not right. It's, it's, it's a moment where we need our, our village or our people around us the most because someone just died and it should not matter if that someone was with us for six weeks or for 65 years, it should not matter. A loss is a loss. And I, that's why I'm, I'm really passionate about trying to change that, that any loss is a real loss and we need to give people the room to grieve them. It's so perfectly phrased. And 
I'm thinking about this community of women that you are directly supporting. You're like, I'm in this for you. I'm in this for everybody, but I'm in this for you to make sure you never have to do this alone again. And what has been your, your contribution to that specific community of women, to all of these moms? Oh, (laughs) Um, oh goodness. That's a hard question. Uh, well, I'm hoping I can contribute by by being a counsellor and seeing people either face-to-face or online. Um, and I'm hoping that um, – so I've written a book because I'm – before I was a counsellor, I was a journalist, so writing mm. comes naturally to me and has been obviously the first go-to thing to do for me to try and cope with my loss. So I started writing and eventually – that again driven by that feeling of loneliness and just desperation and feeling so unsupported I I thought about okay what would I want people to know um what they should do to support someone who has suffered a miscarriage so that's um how I started writing at first just for myself and then eventually a whole book came together because after my very um, positive phone call with the support organizations I went um, ended up going to meetings and joining online groups and I ended up talking to a lot of um, other lost moms and so bit by bit my book came together which is yeah how to survive a miscarriage a guide for women their partners friends and families because I um, try to obviously give practical advice to women who are the main in my opinion, main sufferers of, of losing a baby, but also for their partners who are often on the sideline, not knowing what to do and dealing with their own grief that apparently also no one cares about. And um, advice for yeah, friends and family. So how do you, how should you support someone, um, either a woman or a couple who has um, suffered the loss of a baby? And um, hope, hopefully my my book can serve as a, contribution to helping others through their grief. That's so phenomenal. And I'm so excited to share this with the rest of the grief growers who are listening to the podcast today. And I'm interested to know maybe maybe one or two takeaways from your book that were based on your own experience in terms of the ways maybe that you were not helped, that you wish you would have been by friends and family, or maybe something that you wish people knew about women experiencing a miscarriage. Sure. Um, yes, because because I um, had a lot of negative experiences um, after my loss. So I, in the book, I put a list together of things that you do not do not say to a woman who just suffered a miscarriage. Um, so that's um, you know things like oh it's very common or you're still young you can have another or focus on the children you have heaven needed another angel um, all of this just like awful awful things that people say um, because uh, just to sort of frame it so, um, for maybe for not everybody knows that but in in medical terms a miscarriage is considered until week 20 of a pregnancy and after that if a baby dies it's considered stillbirth uh, don't ask me why we need to make this um, this differentiation but basically I'm talking um, yeah to to women who mainly lost uh, babies early or late miscarriage um, and you know, 
even it doesn't matter because like why would you say things like that so I was like oh no <laughs> so and I, I heard them and it's like no 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 big no to that um and I but also what I was really have been passionate about for my book was really practical advice because I didn't know when I started out on my grief journey that it's actually okay to have a, a ritual or um yeah proper coping strategy anything that um helps make the loss more sort of graspable just more I guess real like you can touch it yes exactly Mm -hmm. exactly and uh, so that's what I wanted to put in the book like it's okay and please even do that please do that pick a ritual um and and do like if you want to plant a tree in memory of your baby do that if you want to bake a cake um every time every year to do that do that if the baby comes around then do it like even throw a party come on like there's no limits do what feels right for you and what helps you heal because no one told me I can do that. I needed to work that out myself. So that's a really strong message as well. Because we need as women and as partners, we need to do what feels right for us to heal and remember our babies and keeping their legacies alive in a way that fits for us and nobody else. So once you receive that message yourself of permission to create these rituals and permission to feel all of these things. What did you maybe and or your husband do to honor your baby and or what are you still doing to carry forward into the future? So our baby's due date was um, February 11th. So every Oh, that's coming February, up now. It is. <sighs> it is. Um, so every February 11, um, like the first year, because the first year after that's, it's hard. It's very raw. It's, it's very upsetting. Um, so we, we, I baked a cake and we lit a candle and we just sort of, you know, um, said um, to each other, you know, baby would have been maybe one year old now. Um, and so we, we did that and, um, it, it, but it, it changes for us every year. Some some people, and that's what I say to people as well, by the way, like either you do the same every year or you, you change it up, whatever feels right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because as, as then, so we've done that for quite um, a few years, but I have to say with me, it actually changed to the, so the day I lost my baby was July 1st. And I went in for um, my procedure. And it has become actually more significant dealing with that day than uh, the due date. So normally July 1st is is the day for me where it's just awful and I'm sad and I'm upset and I struggle through the day. Um, obviously, you know, relieving everything and thinking about. And that is another thing that, that the miscarriage suffers um, deal with we, we we are left with a lot of what ifs um so you know my my baby would be seven by now so like what 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 would he or she look like um what would they do in school um yeah what what, what kind of interests would they have mm-hmm. and that's those thoughts definitely always um stay with me um thinking about what if and would have been and 
and um, that adds definitely another level of, of, of hard, hardness or hardship onto the grief because no one can answer that. No, and those questions will, they kind of remain in your imagination. You can't really do too much with them other yeah. than continue to wonder. And I'm curious, the way that you phrase that, what do you believe to be true about grief now? It's true that it changes us. It's it's true that it's awful and beautiful at the same time because it teaches us so much, um, not only about us, definitely about us, but maybe about how we perceive the world. And um, it helps even a really hard lesson to learn, but it helps clear a lot of things out of your life, be it that maybe that you um, walk away with uh, people that, no longer serve a purpose or you you stop doing something that you once enjoyed and now you no longer do because the grief in a way to me opens our eyes at a moment where we were not ready to open them but oh. we had to do it anyway um and that is um, challenging and uncomfortable and it sucks most of the time, but the lessons that are sort of behind it once we have our eyes open are, are really empowering and enriching and, and dare I say it, I'm kind of grateful for sometimes. Although that's, that's definitely hot. Um, maybe to understand because you're never like, yeah, lost is awesome. Um, <laughs> no, I've never, never heard anyone never. say that before. <laughs> no, and no, and we shouldn't. We really shouldn't. But we need to, and that is maybe that's the hardest part that is for me and was for me is that the fact that out of something so awful and and gut wrenchingly terrible, something new can grow. And that new can be beautiful and full of love and, um, yeah, pushing us onwards to keep going. And it's, it's, there's always that tinge of sadness that out of something really, really, really heartbreaking, we learned a beautiful lesson. Yeah. There's always like, I don't know how to phrase it better than there's always like 10% sadness or 5% sadness or 1% sadness that will just continue to carry with you all the time. And that's such a, a great visual for it because I believe I said in a previous episode that grief, once you enter into a relationship with it, is present for the rest of your life. And and society likes to tell us that there's an end to grief or that time heals all or, you know, stay busy uh, yeah. and eventually it will go away, like things like that. And, and it just doesn't, it doesn't end. But, but things like you said, like ritual, like giving ourselves permission to honor all of these emotions that are coming up, these are ways in which we can not only deepen our relationship with grief, but with ourselves as grieving people as well. It's very much an exploration and in feeling the spectrum of human emotions and being able to connect more deeply with other people as well, which it sounds like you've been able to do in your work and through your book, How to Survive a Miscarriage. Um, I'm interested now to tell everybody kind of where they can find you and your work if they're interested in working with you, and especially if they're interested in getting access to your book as well. Sure, sure. Um, so people can go to my website, 
which um, is just www.kareenholmes.com. Um, maybe I have to spell out my name. Yes, if you <laughs> for that one. Great. So it's K A R I N H O L M E S dot com. I'm on um, Instagram under um, uh, Kareen H Counseling. It's a bit long, isn't it? Um, I'm on Facebook under the same uh, Kareen H um, Counseling. We have a page where people can connect with me and actually also purchase the book. So, you know, I have um, a link on my Instagram account. I have um, a link on my Facebook account um, for the book or on my uh, website as well um, where they can find it um, because it has been published with a small publisher um, here in Australia, but it is, it is um, available worldwide. <laughs> we we do ship <laughs> everywhere. So, yeah, I think you just need to remember how to spell my name, which is K-A-R-I-N-H-O-L-M-E-S, and then you will you will find the book as well. It, it's available on Amazon as well, even as an ebook. So if people sort of prefer to go with the times, um, it can also be ordered um, on Amazon via uh, as an ebook on, on Kindle. Or um, see now, that's where my technology knowledge stops. Um, but it's an ebook and a proper proper book, so to speak. Some people call Amazon uh, a necessary evil. <laughs> To getting your work out into the world because it is the place where pretty much everybody goes to search for things. Yeah. So K-A-R-I-N Holmes Counseling on all social media platforms. And then, of course, if you can't find it there, How to Survive a Miscarriage on Amazon.com. Yeah. Oh, you can Google it too. Absolutely. And I actually found you by Googling it. So that was that was super great. <laughs> yeah, you so Which is because. Because I feel like I'm sort of still floating a bit in the in this worldwide web. <laughs> it is. It is kind of a pool you just enter into, and you're like, I'm not sure that there's a ladder to get back out, but here I am. <laughs> exactly. Yep. <laughs> Listen to me. <laughs> yes, I'm here. I have a message. I love I it. Do. That's what we're all doing here. That's what I'm definitely yep. doing here. That's it. That's um, it. <laughs> this has just been such a valuable conversation. I think this was uh, this was eye opening for me in a different way because I've never framed. Uh, miscarriage in the way that you framed it for me. So I really want to thank you for that. And thank you for joining us on coming back today. I hope that some of our uh, grief growers will be reaching out to you and that your work will continue forward because it sounds like you just have this soft spot. I'm kind of getting chills as I say this, you have this soft spot for this stranger who was more or less forced to leave you for all these strangers that are asking to come to you. And it it's just, I love that it, that that painful balance. That's what grief looks like. The aftermath of grief looks like. So I've just Absolutely. so appreciated this conversation today. Thank you so much, Corin. Me too. Thank you so much for having me and letting me talk about um, my grief journey. Thank you. So that's all for this episode of Coming Back. Thank you so, so much to Corin Holmes, who blew my mind with the words coming out of her mouth. I hope she's introduced you to some new phrases and some ways of thinking, especially about miscarriage as well. Corin came back by reaching to the Australian support group SANDS, which is spelled S-A-N-D-S, where she spoke to a stranger on the phone who finally acknowledged her grief. You can find a link to SANDS in the show notes. Corin also came back by writing and connecting with other grieving mothers. You can find a link to Corin's work in the show notes. Join me for Facebook Live this Monday, February 12th at 1 o'clock Central Time. 
We're talking about the idea of how once we grieve, we can't ungrieve, and how the permanent presence of grief can be reframed as a chance to grieve with our hearts open. And we received a new Patreon supporter this week. Shout out to Kevin, who's supporting the podcast on Patreon this week, a friend of mine who makes the best cocktails in all of Chicago. Thank you so much, Kevin, for keeping this podcast going. As a reminder to all of you out there, Patreon is a set-it-and-forget-it way to support the show each month. If you love the work that I do, you can find a link to my Patreon page in the show notes if you'd like to support Just Like Kevin. Another way to support the show is to subscribe and tell a friend about coming back, because you never know what someone you love is going through. Thank you always to Mr. Addie Goldstein, who composed our theme music. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby Forsythia, Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at Grief Guide Shelby Forsythia, or simply shelbyforsythia.com. If you'd like to leave a question or comment for a future show, leave a voicemail or text 312-725-3043 or email me at shelby at shelbyforsythia.com, subject line, podcast. As always, it was beautiful sharing this space and time with you today. I see you. I am proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world. And I love you. Because even through grief, we are growing.